Welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and I am one half of the Codex Prime podcast. And today is Wednesday, September 12th, 2018. And this is the 20th edition of Victor's Corner. Um, It has been a while since I did one of these. Uh, Last one being this past spring when I talked about Donald Glover's This Is America video. Um, for tonight's episode, as well as next week, um, I will be holding the fort down solo. Uh, uh, Carl Bird will not be on the show, uh, this week and next week. Um, he's dealing with a, uh, a passing of his, uh, grandmother and, uh, our thoughts, uh, and well wishes and our condolences are with him and his family and love and loved ones at this time. So in the meantime, uh, I will be holding the fort down on the podcast. So uh, so much to talk about Uh, this week. I'll be getting into my film review of Searching. Uh, This latest uh, thriller, which is playing in theaters now. A little bit of wrestling talk with the Mae Young Classic, the first episode. Uh, My thoughts on last week's NXT episode. As well as my thoughts on Insecure, uh, the fifth episode of season three from this past Sunday. Hey, what's up, Kyle? Uh, thank you, thank you so much for joining joining me on the chat, as well as uh, Shannon J Hartley. Thank you both for uh, for tuning in, and uh, also a uh, big shout outs to Kyle as well as Brian Lopes and Eddie Ortiz. Uh, you can catch them on the UWO Urban World Order podcast. Um, I do have to give my apologies as well. Uh, last week, uh, we were Carl and I were going to collaborate with the UWO. Uh, unfortunately, the Anchor uh, uh, podcast platform had some technical difficulties. We were gonna we were gonna go all in on the all in show. Uh, unfortunately, um, that due to technical difficulties, that couldn't come through. Uh, but hopefully, uh, the UWO will be able to upload upload uh, their episode soon and uh, get into all in because it was a it was a great pay per view, one of the very best wrestling pay per views all year. So if you're a wrestling fan uh, on any level, be it hardcore or even casual, definitely go out of your way to watch that show because it is uh, monumental. It is history making and it's full of great wrestling, top to bottom. Yep, I agree. Damn anchor. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, uh, we'll we'll get into we'll get into all that as well as the, this week's uh, news and headlines here. Uh, first thing I want to get into is this really cool movie, which is uh, playing in theaters now. It's been playing uh, for the last uh, couple weeks now, and it's this uh, thriller called Searching, and it's a film uh, starring John Cho. Uh, you may remember him from such films as uh, the Star Trek films uh, by J.J. Abrams, uh, which he played uh, the new Mr. Sulu, as well as that uh, comedy classic, uh, Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, followed by Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Um, I haven't seen either of those films, but I heard that the White Castle one was pretty hilarious back then. Uh, but Searching is a really cool film. It's directed by Anish uh, Chaganti, and it's written by Anish Chaganti and and Sev Ohanian or Ohanian. And it's a film which uh, it's a missing persons thriller, and it stars John Cho as this uh, father named David Kim, and uh, he he has to deal with the uh, with the fact that his teenage daughter uh, Margot goes missing one day. And and um, and there there's also a rift, uh, sort of an emotional rift between David and his daughter Margot because uh, Margot's mom Pam uh, died of cancer when she was very young. And the most unique thing about this movie is you might be uh, familiar with the uh, Unfriended films from a couple years ago, and Searching takes that a similar approach in which the entirety of the film takes place on the internet. So when you're watching the movie, <clears throat> the entire uh, uh, film of searching unfolds via web browsers, uh, FaceTime windows, YouTube, YouTube videos, uh, online videos, news footage, uh, text chats online via AOL and, and Facebook, um, uh, Skype. 
and on all sorts of user interfaces. So it, um, so you kind of see, it, 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 so you kind of see, um, uh, David going uh, on this on this uh, investigation uh, of sorts to find out his his daughter, his missing daughter's whereabouts. So he's, uh, he's 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 use he tries to get get into his daughter's uh social media accounts via facebook youtube um gets in the group chats to ask questions ask her uh her classmates and her friends in in school questions about when, when was the last time they saw her uh what happened during that time was she acting unusual and that sort of thing and the way the whole movie unfolds is just so seamless and the editing of this film uh is is quite amazing because the film unfolds across all these uh digital platforms so you see the passage of time uh, unfold especially in the beginning of the film where you see uh, young margot grow up from you know from a newborn to a to a toddler to a little kid and then she becomes a teenager and you see uh the evolution of um, user interfaces like windows xp if you remember that uh down to the uh the the piano boots the, the piano sound that boots up that comes on every time that you boot up, boot up Windows XP uh, to the very old the the first uh, YouTube uh, version of the of YouTube the 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 web layout from back in 05, 06, um to uh, to um, Windows I guess Windows ten and then like the Mac Mac OS uh, FaceTime and all this and just watching this whole film unfold via those uh, those online and, and digital platforms is quite amazing because what's what's so cool about searching is that not only does it touch into that uh, that cultural zeitgeist of you know how we live our lives online and how we cultivate our our sense of our our, our friends our 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 communities, our, our friendships, our families, our relationships via these online platforms, um, you come to realize that, you know, especially in the case of David and his daughter, that, you know, that, you know, you might be cultivating up an, an image of yourself that maybe your loved ones don't really know. So you might, pr- you might, carry yourself in a way that's much different in real life than than you are online so when david's looking through her online profiles and her and the videos that she posts online of like kind of like a snapchat youtube platform um she's very quiet very withdrawn and she has all these cryptic uh attention seeking videos and status updates like oh i have the sad sad emoji and then you have all these um little uh um, uh, uh, text responses, chat responses, like "Oh, OMG, are you okay?" and all this, you know, just a little attention-seeking, little self-serving, which you kind of see on Facebook all the time, every now and again. And <clears throat> and 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 when, when you when you watch this whole film unfold, and you get and you get to the bottom of this whole mystery, uh, man, like the twists that come at you will just like just shock you. And I won't spoil anything, and I don't want to reveal anything or, or 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 reveal who does what or who's featured in the film. But it's a film that you will benefit from the less you know about it. If you just know the basic framework that, okay, a father's looking for his, his missing daughter, that's all you really need to know. When you get into searching, when you watch how how the mystery unfolds and the twists that happen you'll be like whoa this is very well constructed this is very well written and the end the ending man that's that's how you that's how you present a thriller in a very original and a very creative way and so just on the strength of its its online gimmick um it, searching is a film that that it doesn't just rely on on the online gimmick to you know to keep to hook to grab your attention. There's a unique and really awesome and really engrossing thriller narrative behind it, and which goes beyond its gimmick. And so I highly recommend watching Searching if you can in the theater. It's definitely one of the year's best films. Um, it'll very likely end up on my top twenty films of the year uh, when I make that list uh, at the end of December. And if you have a chance to see it, please do so. It's in theaters now. 
searching. And one more fun fact about searching. Um, I didn't know this, but it's actually the first, uh, first Hollywood film to feature an Asian-American lead. The first Asian-American thriller film to feature an Asian-American lead. And I didn't know that. I didn't know there, were, there weren't any thriller or suspense or horror films that, that did not feature Asian-American actors in the lead roles. And Searching happens to be the first one. So it's another, uh, another history maker right there. So again, check out Searching. It's in theaters now. And uh, we also will get into some, a little bit of wrestling talk as well. Uh, last Wednesday... Uh, September 5th, was the airing of the first episode of the May Young Classic Tournament, the second annual uh, May Young Classic Tournament. Uh, last year's tournament featured Kyrie Sane, who was the inaugural winner of that uh, contest. And this year, uh, the May Young Classic is, uh, is once again posted on the WWE Network. You can catch uh, the new episodes every Wednesday night. And unlike last year, in which they basically uh, uh, posted all of the matches in the tournament, except for the finals, um, over the over like a two day period on the network, um, the May Young Classic tournament of this year is taking the uh, cruiserweight classic approach from 2016, where they're posting uh, the first round matches like every week for the first two three weeks, and then the second round and then the semifinals. Uh, for the next uh, seven weeks or so, leading leading up to the uh, WWE Evolution All Women's Pay Per View at the end of October, and at the Evolution Pay Per View, um, you'll be seeing the uh, final match of the Mae Young Classic tournament, and the winner will win uh, the Mae Young Classic trophy. And so, once again, there are 30, 32 competitors in the Mae Young Classic Tournament. The second episode you can watch tonight on the network. Uh, this one, we'll talk, about, we'll talk a bit about the uh, first episode here, in which we had four matches uh, uh, from the tournament. And the Mae Young Classic, uh, un once again, unfolded at Full Sail University. And uh, there was uh, and the, in the first four matches were a really good uh, preview of what's to come for the rest of this tournament. Um, the first uh, match to kick off the first round, we had uh, Tegan Knox of South Wales versus Zatara. Zatara being uh, the first Chilean competitor uh, in the women's division in WWE. Um, and this uh, this first match was was actually a, a good a good kickoff. Uh, Tegan Knox, uh, she was actually slated to originally slated to compete in last year's tournament, but because of an ACL injury, uh, she was unable to do so. And now this year, uh, the storyline for her going in is that she is wrestling in this in this year's tournament with a with a rehabbed knee, but it's still you know kind of still recovering. So she's still dealing with some bum knee issues going into this tournament. So it's going to be interesting to see how far she advances. Uh, um, uh, in the Mae Young Classic, so this match, um, uh, it was it was a it was a pretty good showcase. Zatara dominated a good chunk of it. Uh, at the end of the day, Tegan Knox, who was the fan favorite, uh, she defeated Zatara with a shining wizard uh, to claim the victory. And um, uh, but and again, her her uh, her ACL uh, injury from last year might come back to haunt her. So we'll see how far she'll go. Uh, so far, uh, the second match we had a returning competitor from last year's tournament. We had Rhea Ripley of Australia of Australia versus Brooklyn's own MJ Jenkins, um, who I believe has signed a developmental uh, contract with the NXT at the Performance Center. And Rhea Ripley, I believe, she also competes in the NXT UK show. And speaking of NXT UK, I, I'm, I'm wondering when uh, when episodes of NXT UK will be posted on the on the, on the WWE Network because man, we got, we we've been we've been ever since the UK tournament of last year we've been promised a UK show so I'm hoping uh, the the UK uh, NXT show will eventually be uh, posted uh, alongside the uh, NXT show stateside. But Rhea Ripley came back with a new look, new attitude, kind of heelish, kind of has like this uh, 
this this elements of like punk rock to her look um a new new uh heelish attitude which definitely carried her in this match uh mj jenkins she was full of uh full of full of spunk and charisma and and, and high energy uh definitely had the had the, had the crowd behind her but at the end rhea ripley uh, dominated with a uh pump handle power bomb for the victory and um yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if uh, if Rhea Ripley will actually maybe take it all the way to the finals this year, and she does have a really good chance because you know she is a very good competitor, and you know I could see her becoming um, NXT UK Women's Champion or even NXT Women's Champion if uh, whenever whichever brand she whichever brand of NXT she decides to uh, to stick with. Uh, third match was also quite interesting, probably the weakest of the four, but still um, still uh, quite watchable in its own right. We had Lacey Lane, the hometown hero of Winter Park, Florida, Winter Park being where Full Sail is located, and she took on the veteran uh, Vanessa Craven, who also goes by the name of The Mountain. Uh, this was a, a David Goliath match, um, uh, Vanessa uh, Craven. Being aptly named, apt, aptly named the Mountain, six foot two, two hundred pounds. Um, Lacey Lane, total opposite, short, a complete novice. Um, I think she's only been wrestling for a year or two, and she she does have a developmental deal with uh, WWE within their performance center. Uh, Lacey Lane has also been trained by uh, Devon Dudley. So and she does have a bit of a high flying, uh, uh, fast moving style. So it was a so this so the storyline of this match was Lacey Lane and her um, and her uh, rookiness, if you will, uh, taking on the uh, veteran, the intimidating veteran stylings of of Craven. And at the beginning of this match, at first it felt like a foregone conclusion. Okay. Lacey Lane might might provide a good show, but at the end, Craven will will steamroll through her, pin her one, two, three. Surprisingly enough, that was not the case. Um, um, there was one point in the match where Lane tried the tried a some sort of springboard move where she was bouncing off the ropes, but she botched a landing and and landed square on her back. Uh, but she eventually uh, took the win by. Um, by uh, pinning uh, Vanessa Craven in a in a crucifix bomb for a surprise for a surprise three count, and much to the surprise of the of Full Sail, she got the win and she and she's advanced to the second round of the tournament. Um, it's gonna and, and it's gonna be interesting to see how she fares in the rest of it. You know, she has a very unique look, Lacey Lane, uh, these long blonde dreads and like a uh, tattooed. Uh, uh, some some wicked tattoos and uh, and a very fast agile style. So it's going to be interesting to see how how she develops as an athlete and as a wrestler uh, on the NXT brand. And last but not least, we had the fourth match of uh, the of the first episode of the May Young Classic, and this was my favorite match of this episode. We had a hard hitting contest between Lisbon Portugal's own Killer Kelly versus the final boss of Japan, the veteran known as Meiko Satomura. And Meiko Satomura, she came out to a, to a very welcome ovation. And um, Meiko is a practitioner of Japanese strong style, so her strikes are stiff. When she chops you, when she hits you, you can hear it, and you can... You know, kind of feel it in your soul. It kind of hurts <laughs> just just to watch. But Killer Kelly is no slouch. You know, she did compete in the um, uh, uh, NXT UK slash uh, UK uh, Championship Tournament show from this past June in a triple threat women's match. And she has a no-nonsense smash mouth style all her own. So she was a good foil, a good match for uh, Mako Satomura. And uh, uh, this was a really good back and forth. The match could have gone easily either way. Um, Satomura, uh, she uh, she eventually uh, won with a Death Valley driver uh, uh, for the one, two, three. This was a really good match. Um, definitely the best uh, match in the Mae Young Classic so far in um, in episode one. And at the end, uh, uh, Killer Kelly uh, 
gave Mako uh, Satomura her respect, uh, you know, gave her a bow before leaving the ring. And um, you know what? So far, uh, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen in the rest of the tournament, but uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with Mako to, if not win the Mae Young Classic, at least make it all the way to the finals, because I can see her being, uh, being the, uh, final boss, so to speak, of this tournament. And so whoever her opponent ends up being, may, may uh, will have a formidable challenge against them. Uh, and also I would love to see a match between Mako Setamura and Asuka. Because those are two, two uh, strong style competitors. Both came from Japan, and uh, they both are intimidating as all hell. They're tough as nails, and just to see them uh, go at it in the ring one on one, that would be something to see. Um, I don't know if they actually competed together in Japan or not. If not, I can try to look up uh, a match or two if that's available. But it would be awesome to see them get in the ring and mix it up, as well as Kyrie saying you can throw throw her into the mix as well. So yeah, that's my uh, a rundown of the May Young Classic, uh, uh, 2018, uh, first round, first episode of the first round. Um, again, you can watch episode two, which is uh, po- which has been posted tonight on the WWE Net- Network. Uh, new segments of the tournament will be posted every Wednesday evening, uh, alongside new episodes of NXT. And speaking of NXT, uh, to kind of wrap up all the wrestling talk for this episode, uh, I highly recommend, um, if you haven't done so already, tune in to last Wednesday's episode of NXT from September 5th. It has uh, one of my favorite matches of the year, definitely another match of the year uh, contender, in Johnny Gargano versus the Velveteen Dream. Uh, Velveteen Dream Easily, this match he had with Johnny Gargano is the best match of Velveteen Dream's career so far. Uh, Dream has has you know is is on the upswing as of late, having gotten a big victory from EC3 at uh, last month's Takeover Brooklyn show. I think it's a matter of time uh, before we see some gold around uh, Velveteen Dream's waist. I mean, Patrick Clark is just killing it in that gimmick, the prince of uh, NXT, if you will. And um, and Johnny Gargano, man, his story is quite intriguing. You know, Tommaso Ciampa, his former, uh, his former tag team partner and friend turned, ex- turned very bitter rival, is the, NX- is the current NXT champion. And, Gar- and uh, Ciampa, having earned two victories over Gargano, is firmly inside the mind of, of Johnny Wrestling and... Right now, Johnny Wrestling is in a slump. He's he's uh, kind of emo. He's on his he's on his emo uh, in his feelings right now. He's he's not sure how to feel about the tra- to the current trajectory of his career. Um, Velveteen Dream further got into uh, uh, Gargano's mind during this match by uh, coming out with a Johnny Failure T-shirt. You know, making fun of the Johnny Wrestling moniker. Um, and uh, and surprisingly, uh, half of the uh, NXT crowd at Full Sail, half of they were dueling chants, where where half of the crowd was chanting Johnny Wrestling, and the other half were were chanting Johnny Failure, and so when the Velveteen Dream won with his rolling Death Valley Driver, uh, Gargano was just uh, yeah, he was just he sunk further and further into his mental funk and and. He walked out into the crowd to chants of Johnny Failure and uh, na 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 hey 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 goodbye. And so, man, I don't know where where Gargano goes from here, man. He's just been hard hard on his luck uh, for the better part of this year. He has he's failed twice to defeat Gar- to defeat Tommaso Ciampa. And Tommaso Ciampa is uh, doing big things as the NXT champion and, and as, in my view, not the best heel, not only on NXT, but also in all of WWE. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where, where, where Gargano goes from here and how they'll continue that story. But definitely check out that match between him and, and, the, and the Dream uh, from last week's episode of NXT. 
Uh, moving on uh, to some other non-wrestling talk stuff. Um, I want to get into to my thoughts on this week's episode of Insecure, uh, the fifth episode of season three of Issa Rae's popular series. Uh, this episode entitled High Like, in which uh, Issa, Molly, Kelly, and Tiffany, they all head to Coachella, the Coachella Music Festival, to watch Beyonce. Um, hilarity ensues. And uh, the reason why I want to get into this episode is because there was a big, uh, there was a big, uh, 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 I want to say twist, but definitely a shocking event which happened uh, at the end of the episode, which I'll get into. Um, so far, you've seen, uh, and obviously there's a bit of spoilers. So if you haven't caught up with Insecure by now, then you know I don't know, kind of mute this segment. I don't know honk your horn but uh essentially uh isa she just quit her job from uh we got y'all from that uh that um that unfulfilling nonprofit agency and so right now isa is starting to starting to starting to experience some maturity on her end she's she got out of that situation ship with daniel who's been uh you know, it was it wasn't the most ideal living arrangement. You know, it was like a will they, won't they, and uh, it just was not uh, tenable for either one of them. So Issa moved out. She quit her job. She's currently do. She's currently a, a property manager at this, at this apartment complex. She's uh, getting some revenue from Lyft, uh, and uh, you know, and right now she's um she's starting to develop a bit of a thing a bit of a romantic thing with this uh this nathan fellow who's straight out of houston and um i don't know i don't know about their relationship i mean there's something a little shifty in my view about nathan because you know he you know he's he's told isa in the previous episode that he hasn't been in a he's never been in a serious relationship and um and his answer seemed rather dodgy like 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 there's something more to that story that East that he hasn't perhaps divulged to Issa as of late, as of yet. Um, but seeing seeing how Nathan's and and Issa's uh, story is unfolding, they uh, eventually they you know they get high off edibles and then you know they get into a Ferris wheel together and one thing leads to another and they you know they knocking you know knocking the boots in the in the Ferris wheel booth. And so, you know, things have taken, things have escalated quite a bit. Uh, so it seems that, you know, Issa's on the upswing professionally and perhaps romantically. But, you know, Issa being Issa in this show, you know, she's going to, she's going to awkward her way into a, into a pretty bad situation somehow. I don't know. Uh, you, you also saw how, um, Molly is doing, you know, in her job, you know, just doing the workaholic thing, you know, she's, she still has hangups about not being the top dog, the top, the top level, uh, attorney, uh, in, in this, in this uh, all black law firm that she just started working at recently. Um, she's trying to take on more responsibility. She's she's trying to be the star of the firm, but at the same time being still being still being judgmental about okay, this is this is how, this is not how we do think how we did things at my old firm. This is how we should have done it. And you know, just seeing her trying to trying to balance you know her her current place on the totem pole professionally and where she can go, as well as you know whatever whatever she's trying to get into romantically with that mouth breather dro uh that's going to be interesting to see how that ends up resolving uh kelly uh, you know okay kelly's the loud and rude as shit friend uh, of the group i know i know i know the character of kelly has a lot of fans on insecure i am not one of them I do not like this character Kelly. I, th- I think the actress who plays her, um, I forget, I forget her name. I think her name is Natasha. Something. I think her last name begins with R. Um, but really good writer, good actress. She she does she plays the role of Kelly well. But the character itself, 
I am not a fan of. I hate Kelly. She's just rude. She's obnoxious. She's so... Um, I think she's rather bougie in her own right. She's thoroughly unlikable. She's not, she's the type of she's the type of friend that you know I wouldn't want to have in my circle. And the only time that I found her tolerable was in this episode where she actually took an edible and she was high. And when she was high, that was when you know what. I actually could tolerate her. I actually could stand watching her on this show. And I know, you know, you know, insecure fans who are who are who are fans of Kelly might might come at me with some hate mail or call me a hater. Call me a hater all you want. I just don't like that character at all. Um I think her getting tased was quite hilarious to be honest. Um I think that was a bit of karma for her running her mouth all this time, but uh Tiffany Tiffany had a rather interesting, uh, uh, interesting place in this episode. You know, currently Tiffany she is with child, and uh, she's in, and she's always been the most bougie and perhaps the most unlikable of the group. Perhaps in just as much as Kelly, in my opinion, uh, Tiffany has been very pretentious. She, you know, self styles herself as you know the most uh, uh, put together, the most. Um, uh, sophisticated of the group, if you will. This very cultivated and pretentious image that Tiffany has, but at the same time, I kind of felt for her in this episode because, you know, yeah, she is with child, and then you know she's she's living that married life, and she sees her three friends who, you know, who aren't, you know, who who are all single, and uh, you know she's at a different stage in her life where. You know, she's looking at her friends and, and and the dynamic between the four of them just isn't the same anymore. And so there was a there was a rather uh, uh, emotionally real moment towards the end of this episode where Issa and Tiffany were having a, a conversation in the car. And uh, as they were out getting um, drinks and whatnot at the store and Tiffany was like, you know, things are just different now. Things just aren't the same anymore. You know, Anissa's, you know, saying, you know, you know, we're still going to be friends. We're still going to, you know, hang out and all this. And Tiffany just said, mm, nah, for, for pretty much, no, nah, it's, it's unlikely that's going to continue. And, you know, that's life. You know, as much as I, you know, don't really care for Tiffany on the show, I actually felt for her in that moment because it, it was a real moment. And, and, and that is life where you have uh, friends that you've, and I can I can speak to this where where you know you have friends that you've been that you've known for a decade or two, and you know they've grown and you know they've you know had created families of their own and you know and you and you just lose touch you know you stop talking to them they stop talking to you not because of any malicious reasons but that's just how it is you know they have they have bigger deeper priorities and you have bigger deeper priorities perhaps in you know, from your own perspective and you both are just really busy and you know you, you eventually you drift apart and then maybe you guys get together once in a blue moon but you know it's just not the same anymore and i think uh i think that moment in that show between Issa and tiffany definitely rang true to life and especially for me because i i definitely see that I saw a lot. I, I, mean, I am seeing a lot of that, you know, among my own, you know, acquaintances over the over the years. But the, uh, but perhaps the, the the moment in in this episode of Insecure that's the most talked about was the return of Lawrence. Yes, uh, the Lawrence Hive is once again in full effect. Out of nowhere, Lawrence pops up and pops in, and he says, "Hey." So it appears that Lawrence will uh, will have an impact uh, on the rest of this uh, season, which I I kind of have mixed feelings on. To be honest, I, I I know that a lot of I know I've been a fan of 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 Lawrence uh, in the first two seasons of Insecure. I felt that it was a it was a really uh, it was a really logical step to end Lawrence's arc at the end of season two where 
him and Issa, you know, decide to part ways. They don't, they don't, you know, repair their relationship anymore. Anymore, they just decide to just split, go their separate ways, and that's that. And now to see Lawrence back in the mix, I don't know if it's going to be a case of uh, either Lawrence and Issa are going to try to get back together. Or and if and if Nathan's gonna have anything to say about it, or if Daniel's gonna come back in the mix somehow, so it's gonna be like a, a triple threat match between Lawrence, uh, Nathan, and Daniel, um, all pining for the affections of this awkward black girl, Issa. Um, you see what I did there, and uh, or or if it's a case where Lawrence is perhaps living his best life right now, and maybe he's gonna be a little petty towards Issa, you know, throw a little little humble bragging, a little passive aggressive shade like like hey, hey, Issa, how you doing? Oh, oh, yo, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good, you know? Hey, hey, hi, what hi, what you how you doing, Lawrence? And Lawrence could be like, "Oh, you know, you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm just li- just you know, just just living the dream, you know, just got this really nice high-paying job, you know, out somewhere else, you know, I just met the lo- the real love of my life and uh, you know, uh you know, living my best life. Um, how are you doing? You you still working at that uh, little, that little nonprofit ag- agency that you don't like that you don't like so much? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh oh oh, you you're driving Uber now, is it? Oh that's cool. Oh Lyft. Oh same difference. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> you know, just just I mean just if if Lawrence is gonna throw shade like that on that level, I don't know. But but um, I do have mixed feelings because I don't. If it was up to me, I would not have brought Lawrence back to the show because I think it would have been more true to life if. If you never saw Lawrence again, if Lawrence just moved on and, you know, just did his own thing Um, or maybe or maybe Lawrence's episode, Lawrence's appearance will just amount to just an extended cameo in the next episode. And then maybe you won't see him again um, for the rest of the season after next week. Who knows? But we'll see how how their story ultimately continues. So, yeah, that's my uh, wrap up of uh, of Insecure uh episode uh five so i think we're just halfway through the season um and of course insecure has been renewed for a fourth season as well so you know Issa ray doing major things and she's come a long way since uh, 2011 since the days of uh the awkward black girl youtube series which is still dope it's still hilarious um by the way uh, right now, I'm just uh, scrolling through some comments here. Uh, uh, let me see. We had Nick Thomas that just that joined. Also, Jim Savard. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the show. Uh, let's see. Brian Lope. Brian Lopes. Uh, he says he's gonna li- he's gonna listen tomorrow during work. Uh, and hashtag Team Pineapple Pizza. Yes, right on. I agree. Um, and yes, and yes, Shannon, uh, Insecure, I do wholeheartedly recommend. It is a really good show. Uh, yes, uh, Team Pineapple Pizza, I am still on that train. I To this day, I still do not understand why people hate on ham and pineapple pizza. It's two of the most, it's two of the most wonderful, holy flavors that you can put on a pizza. Just a just a commingling of the juices of the pineapple mixed with the salty taste of the ham, with the with the with the gooey goodness of the cheese and the red sauce, especially on a multi-grain crust or a wheat crust, it smacks. Ah, oh, it's breathtaking. Don't don't give me a thumbs down. <laughs> how how. Okay, uh, my girlfriend's off camera. You know, she's giving me the thumbs down on pineapple pizza. You know what? You know, it, it, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We, we have some haters. You know, it's it's all right. Part of life. You know. Uh, but yeah, pineapple pizza is where it's at. And if you would disagree with agree with me, then um, you're simply wrong. You're simply wrong, and uh, you're just gonna have to deal with it. That I'm right, and you're not. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But let's move on uh, to some news items of the week and other items of interest. And there's some interesting things going on in the nerdverse as of late. Uh, this one, uh, first off, first news that just dropped today, 
I just checked out, courtesy of uh, Consequence of Sound, uh, as reported from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Henry Cavill is no longer Superman in the DC Extended Universe. Wow. So Henry Cavill has apparently hung up his cape, and he will no longer be playing Superman in any more uh, Superman films. Uh, from Warner Brothers and DC. So somewhere, uh, John Haponic is probably crying right now as he's clutching his one and only Blu-ray copy of Man of Steel. (laughs) Shout-outs to John Haponic, by the way. Uh, Warner Brothers will now shift their focus to Supergirl, which is currently being written by screenwriter Oren Uziel, who was the screenwriter behind such films as 22 Jump Street and The Cloverfield Paradox. Um, So the Supergirl film is in the works. Uh, No word on whether or not they're going to use uh, the main actress who plays Supergirl in the TV series in this movie or if they're going to recast her for the film. Um, That's still up in the air. And now, in light of of Henry Cavill uh, dropping uh, the Superman uh, role... uh, Warner Brothers and DC Films is considering, according to Deadline, uh, they're considering going in a very different direction of the Man of Steel by casting Michael B. Jordan as the new Kal-El, as the new uh, Superman. Which, Michael B. Jordan as Superman? Black Man of Steel? Black Steel? You know what? You know what? Whatever. At, At this point, whatever. Um, but, but I definitely take that, uh, take that rumor with a grain of salt because as of now, uh, DC and Warner Brothers, they have no plans to film a Superman film for the next few years. So recasting, uh, the role is up in the air, so to speak. Um, I, I, I will say about this, uh, Henry Cavill, he does have, uh, he does have a good screen presence and I think that, he would have made a great Superman if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for uh, the scripts that he was given. Uh, the script as as uh, uh, from Man of Steel, uh, from Justice League, and especially that that atrocity known as Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Yeah, Cavill got a raw deal as the Man of Steel, and which is a shame because he is a good actor and he does have the look of Clark Kent. And he does have the, 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 the look and the chops to play uh, the man of tomorrow. And unfortunately, he was let down by, by subpar uh, 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 film adaptations of, of the Superman, Superman character. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing him doing big things as Geralt of Rivia in the uh, Netflix's adaptation of The Witcher. Um, the Netflix's adaptation of The Witcher will be based on the books not the game so it'll be a another unique take of of Geralt of Rivia which I can't which I am very very much looking forward to um but as far as Michael B. Jordan as the Man of Steel you know what at this point um I think DC Films and Warner Brothers need they really need to um go back to the drawing board and they really need to instead of trying to create this interconnected universe like i said before a few times on this podcast just focus on 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 making one solid standalone film that's not necessarily necessarily connected to any other uh, dc property you know just focus on telling a really good story and you don't really have to rehash the whole origin story of superman anymore because it's been done I'd say it's been done done to death on screen on screen at this point. I mean, we had the uh, the first Christopher Reeves film from seventy from seventy eight. Uh, we had Superman Returns. We had uh, Man of Steel. We have the uh, uh, Krypton television series. So you, so Superman's origin story has been well covered. So at this point, just tell a really good a really good and unique. Uh, a Superman uh, tale, and and as far as as far as who could who could be cast as the Man of Steel, um, you you can you can cast just about any any competent or strong actor. It could be a complete unknown. But if if um, as as the Zack Snyder films are any indica- are any indication, if the scripts aren't on point, 
then it doesn't really matter who you who you cast in that role because it's all in the writing and a good actor can only take subpar writing so far. Um, what up, Eddie? Eddie just joined uh, joined in on the show here. Uh, we have some other uh, other news here. Um, uh, sad, sad news here: uh, the passing of Burt Reynolds. Uh, he died last Thursday of a heart attack at the age of thirty two. Of uh, at thirty two, excuse me, at the age of eighty two. <laughs> excuse me. Um, uh, Burt Reynolds. He starred in such films as Deliverance. That's a classic. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit. The Longest Yard, Boogie Nights, excellent film by Paul Thomas Anderson, and, of course, the Cannonball Run movies. Uh, Burt Reynolds, R.I.P., lots of great movies in his repertoire. Um, if you have not seen Deliverance, it is a classic film from, from the 70s. I think it came out in 74. And it's, a, it's all about these, um, these, city, these city guys, you know, trying to have uh, an adventure in the... Uh, in the backwoods of America, you know, in the swamps and, and, and wood and woodlands full of hillbillies and hill people. And uh, it becomes a horrifying uh, ordeal. If you ever heard the phrase, I'm going to make you squeal like a pig, I th- think it comes from that movie Deliverance. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. If you're curious, you can probably YouTube the clip, Deliverance, Squeal Like a Pig. And... <laughs> If you want to watch the rest of the movie, well, you've been warned. It's a, it's a great movie, but it may give you nightmares. Um, or if you're like me, if you're a fan of like dark dark horror films or dark humor, you might find it as a really hilarious comedy. But anyway, moving moving on here, um, the RZA of the Wu Tang Clan is producing an old dirty bastard biopic. Hmm. This is an interesting project right here. Uh, Sony Columbia Pictures will be handling the project, and the search for a director is currently on. Now, uh, ODB uh, was one of the original members of the Wu-Tang Clan, and he released two solo albums in his lifetime, the classic 1995 album Return Return to the 36 Chambers, the Dirty Version, which features that awesome song, Shimmy Shimmy Ya, and 1999's album, Nigga Please, which features the song that put Khalees on the map, Got Your Money. Now, uh, ODB, uh, his, legal trouble, his legal troubles were extensive. Um, his rap sheet was as long as the number of L's in the Dallas Cowboys win-loss column, so, which means that he was arrested a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, so he has, he has had as many arrests as the Dallas Cowboys have lost games, um, which is saying a lot, to be honest. Right, Carl? And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, ODB, he also, uh, I think he unfortunately passed away in uh, 2004, I believe, as well. I think it was, he was rather young at the time. I think it was in his 30s, mid-30s. I think it was 36 years old. Now with the now with the news of this uh, ODB uh, biopic, the question becomes, who can play that character? Who can play that dude? And I've I've been thinking about who would be a good actor to play old dirty bastard. And I think I think a good actor who could pull it off would be Lakeith Stanfield. Now Lakeith Stanfield, he's. He's been playing some, you know, eccentric roles in some rather uh, uh, idiosyncratic and very unique films and shows like Atlanta, uh, Get Out, and 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 this year's uh, Sorry to Bother You, which is an awesome film, by the way, which I reviewed on the podcast uh, several episodes ago. Uh, I can see Lakeith Stanfield playing Old Dirt Dog, and um, just just having that really bugged out and. Uh, outlandish personality and um and that and that that cadence in his voice that that only old dirty bastard could pull off and i wonder if there's going to be a scene in that film if when odb pulls up to the welfare office in new york in a limousine to pick up his welfare check um because yes that actually happened and odb actually had empty had an mtv uh, crew film him 
pulling up to an, a welfare office in Brooklyn, I believe, to pick up his welfare check. Who who could pull that off? I guess only only OD, only the the late great ODB can. So yeah, I would say Lakeith Stanfield should play that role. Uh, some other some other cool news here on the uh, on the artistic front. Uh, John Legend is now an EGOT winner. Now uh, at the age of thirty nine, John Legend is the youngest person to ever win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. And he also became the first black man to win an EGOT. Uh, Legend achieved this rare feat at the Creative Emmy Awards this past Sunday, when he won the Emmy for Outstanding Variety Special uh, Live for his role as a producer for his role, uh, yeah, as a producer on Jesus Christ Superstar Live in Concert, which I hear was really popular. Um, it was trending on Twitter uh, quite a bit. I haven't had a chance to see it, but I heard it was a really dope show. And now uh, John Legend is the 13th person ever in history to earn an EGOT, uh, previously winning 10 Grammys, uh, the Oscar in 2015 for Best Original Song for Glory from the movie Selma, and a Tony Award in 2017. So hey, black excellence, baby. John Legend right there. That's what's up. And now, uh, speaking of musicals, um, and you can also file this news under the Unnecessary Sequels Department, or rather, Unnecessary Reboots Department, a Beetlejuice musical is coming to Broadway next year, in 2019. Now, I'm going to keep an open mind, though. Uh, this, this, is, this will be the stage adaptation of Tim Burton's 1988 film, which starred Michael Keaton, uh, Gina Davis, and Alec Baldwin, and Winona Ryder. Uh, the, stage, the stage adaptation will debut at the Winter Garden Theater and will be directed by Alex Timbers. Uh, the Beetlejuice musical will have a pre-Broadway run this October and November at Washington, D.C.'s National Theater before entering previews in March of next year. Uh, the official opening of the Beetlejuice musical will be in April. And now, uh, according to press materials, the Beetlejuice Broadway show will be, quote, ruder, raunchier, and frankly, more repellent than ever, and will also be really fucking explicit. Uh, I'm trying to keep an open mind, but do you really need to have an, 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 an explicit version of Beetlejuice? Must we drop the F-bombs? You know, must we go all the way into R-rated territory? Because I think uh, Beetlejuice did a really good job of uh, towing the line in the in its PG rating on film. And you know what? Why not? I say why not? If if you if you're gonna if you're gonna go all the way for a Beetlejuice musical, just just go all out then. Now the question is, uh, who who could play Beetlejuice? I don't know. Maybe. Lin-Manuel Miranda I don't know I'm just thinking of him and his role in Hamilton that would be a really creative stretch for him I was I suppose um I would I, I will say that a Beetlejuice Broadway Broadway musical does beat the prospect of a Beetlejuice sequel film which was uh, originally proposed in, in the in the in the mid 90s called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian um, thankfully, that never saw saw the light of day, and uh, Michael Keaton decided, nah, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, what up, John? John has joined the show. Uh, welcome, my friend. And John, since you're just tuning in, I'm sure you heard the news that uh, Henry Cavill is no longer the Man of Steel. So, chalk up another L in the uh, loss column for the DC Extended Universe. Um, at at this point, all you have is Wonder Woman. And uh, Aquaman, and uh, the Flash, and Ben Affleck. I think if he's if he's not out, if he's not on his way out, uh, he's his days as Batman are numbered. So, Wonder Woman's pretty much all you got. So you might as well jump jump on the Marvel Cinematic Universe train. It's not too late, man. You you can jump in on time for Captain Marvel and Avengers Four next year. Still have hope for you. Uh, we have two more uh, headlines here in the uh, in in this week's headlines. 
Um, one, this this headline here, I'm pretty sure Carl Bird will appreciate. Uh, Jordan Peele is in talks to remake Candyman. Oh yes, Candyman. Uh, Jordan Peele is the Oscar-winning writer-director of Get Out, and he is currently in talks to make the, the Candyman remake through his own company, Monkey Paw Productions. Now, Peele is currently working on his second film called Us, which will star Elizabeth Moss and Lupita Nyong'o, and that comes out uh, next year. And uh, Peele is also working on a Twilight Zone series reboot. Uh, this is interesting. I would love to see a, a, a reboot of Candyman as as uh, handled, either either from a writing standpoint or a directorial standpoint or both, by Jordan Peele. And uh, the original Candyman film uh, came out in 1992, which starred Tony Todd, followed by the 1995 sequel, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, and a straight-to-video third installment in 1999 called Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. Now, if you are part of uh, my generation growing up in the 90s, uh, one of the big fears uh, uh, was saying, was going into a bathroom all by yourself in the dark and staring in the mirror and saying Candyman five times. And if you said Candyman five times, just like in the movie, Tony Todd will appear behind you and you're dead. You are D-E-A-D dead. Um... Now, I wonder if they could bring back Tony Todd to to play Candyman, but since this is going to be a re- going to be a remake, they might as well have somebody new. And I'm wondering who could be the new Candyman for Jordan Peele's uh proposed remake if he if he does end up taking the job. Uh <laughs> I'm going to say this this is pro- this is probably a big miscast, but you know what? I'm going to go for the gusto. I want to see Jordan Peele cast his boy, his buddy, Keegan-Michael Key, as the new Candyman. <laughs> now, Keegan-Michael Key, he is, he's, he's a totally comedic dude. He, you know, he's all about you know, sound effects like, like blip and shablapes. And um, just to see a Key and Peele re- reunion via a Candyman reboot and with, with Keegan-Michael Key in that role... <laughs> I would pay good money to see. I want to see if Keegan Michael Key can be horrifying, if if he can go to that place, if he can, if he does have the chops and the range to be genuinely frightening and horrifying, uh, perhaps to a greater degree than Tony Todd was in that role. So you know what? Um, you can you can you can cast any any great uh, uh, intimidating actor in that role, but my pick is going to be Keegan Michael Key as Candyman. And depending on, depending on how it's handled, yo, you might either think it's one of the most hilarious films of the hilarious films of the year, or one of the most frightening, or both. So that's gonna be my pick, right there. And uh, last headline here, and this one I'm actually rather pleased about because I'm glad that um, common sense has prevailed here. Uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is "quote unquote" postponing its popular film Oscar category. Now, the Academy a few weeks ago announced a brand new category devoted to popular movies. So, in addition to a Best Picture Oscar, there would have been a Best Popular Film Oscar. So, i.e., it, it was a ploy to get people to get more people to watch the Oscars and to make it more hip and more relevant because you know over the years there's always been this joke that running joke among film fans casual or 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 hardcore that that the oscars honor films that people don't watch so it's like oh who watches moonlight no nobody's ever seen the shape of water why can't the oscars give give the give the top prize to films like transformers or 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 uh I don't know, like or Man of Steel or Justice League or the latest popcorn munching, mouth breathing Jurassic Park sequel or, or or whatever, and so the popular film uh, Oscar was gonna probably be devoted to those films. However, I think, however, the popular film Oscar category was, you know, justifiably met with some strong 
and fiercely negative critical reaction among critics, among industry insiders, and among film fans because of those because of those very reasons I mentioned that that okay, a popular film Oscar raises a lot of questions. So are you giving the popular film Oscar to films that 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 quote unquote don't deserve the best picture prize? Are you saying that the popular film isn't the best film of the year? And on the flip side, are you saying that the films that are in the best picture category aren't popular? Um, are you saying that the best picture films are too, or rather are devoted for highbrow fare, art fare, films that are actually thoughtful and more substantive than popular films? There's a lot of there's a lot of questions and a lot of problems that the popular film that the presence of the popular film category raises, and not to mention that in a year where you have the awesome film, I think I think Marvel's the MCU's best film in my opinion, Black Panther, uh, coming out this which came out this past February, to announce a popular film Oscar category, in in the hopes that. Uh, Black Panther won't be snubbed in the Best Picture uh, categories or the or any of the other major uh, Oscar categories like directing and, and writing. Are you saying that that the that Black Panther deserves the separate but equal category in the popular film Oscar? Yeah, that's that is not a good look. You, you see all these problems that 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 the popular film Oscar category raises. So now. Uh, the Academy has decided to postpone uh, uh, introducing that category for further discussion amongst its members. Uh, I'm really glad that they, I'm, I'm glad that that's the case. I'm hoping that they don't bring that they don't introduce that Oscar category, and instead of a popular Oscar category, that we do see some other uh, legitimate um, um, categories in the field. <laughs> and uh, uh, John just left the uh, left the comment here that uh, Medea's best chance to win an Oscar is gone. Yes, I agree. Uh, I don't I don't know how I would feel if uh, Tyler Perry uh, managed to win a popular film Oscar category. If Tyler Perry wins an Oscar, but Spike Lee doesn't, because. Amazingly enough, Spike Lee, the director of such films as Do the Right Thing, uh, Malcolm X, and this year's Black Klansman, has never won an Oscar. That is baffling to me. So, yeah, that but that's a whole other rant I can get into. But um, in lieu of a popular film Oscar, Oscar category, I do hope that we'll see some other legitimate contenders for new categories. Like, I know that there's been a lot of, um, there's been a big desire among industry insiders and, and some fans that um, stunt, stuntmen and stunt, and stunt performers, stunt women as, as well, um, stunt performers should be, should have their own Oscar category as well. Like, um, like a like a best stunt ensemble, because when you when you watch films like Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of the most exceptional films I've seen like in the last decade, or or any of the Mission Impossible films, or um, or a lot of or a lot of uh, action heavy films where stunt where practical stunt stunt work in front of the camera is a huge component, I would love to see those men and women those performers. Uh, be properly honored and recognized because that is that is some hard work that is like literally death defying work and 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 there have been very unfortunate uh, incidences where there have been some some performers who have uh, tragically uh, died on set in some recent uh, popular films and so to honor their work, I would love to see a, a, a stunt ensemble Oscar category uh, introduced. Um, as far as uh, other Oscar categories, I'm not sure. Oh, oh, I would love to see another one that would honor uh, best casting. Now, a, a, a casting Oscar category could also honor... Um, not just specific, not just uh, specific actors and actresses like the like the like the lead and supporting Oscar categories, but but uh, an Oscar category that can be um, devoted to recognizing the collective uh, performance 
of of a of an ensemble cast in a given film. Um, for example, uh, last year's film, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, would have would have been a great recipient uh, for a casting Oscar category because when you see how Francis McDormand and Woody Harrelson and Lucas Hedges and Sam Rockwell uh, work together in that film, and, and John um, uh, John Hawks, like their their performances were so were were fantastic, and they all worked together to to make that film. Uh, quite a special treat to watch and so to see uh casting directors be recognized for their work for their uh for their uh eye in in getting together the right actors and actresses to make a film uh to make a film truly shine uh would be would also be remarkable so i would love to see a, st- a stunt ensemble Oscar category, as well as a best casting uh, category, which which could be given to a uh, casting director. So that so that's just my thoughts on the uh, on, on on the popular film Oscar, Oscar category being postponed, and what could what could uh, work in place of that. And so yeah, that's uh, that does it for the news and headlines here, and uh, that ab- that also. Just about wraps it up for this week's episode of Victor's Corner. So once again, I thank you all for tuning in. Um, once again, you can catch all of our episodes on SoundCloud, the audio versions, as well as Facebook Live, YouTube, excuse me, uh, Google Play, and of course iTunes, where you can feel free to drop us a five-star review. And you can also catch us all over social media via Facebook at Codex Prime Podcast, Twitter at Codex Prime Cast, and Instagram at Codex Prime Podcast. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Victor Omoyo. So yes, once again, uh, that, that about does it for this week's episode of Victor's Corner. So be sure to tune in next Wednesday around 8-ish p.m., for another episode so once again i'll be coming back next week and i'll be holding the fort down uh, uh solo i'll bring in some more uh news and headlines and um whatever else uh comes my way in the uh in the nerd film pop culture universe you know you, you know how we do on the show and uh and and if you f- and if you want to feel free to send an email at codex prime podcast at gmail.com we will read it or i will read it on the air So once again, thank you for watching. And as always, uh, we will catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds.